you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to look, as we get started today, in just a moment, at verses 1 through 10, in a message entitled, The Value of Priorities. We've arrived at the conclusion of the Refocus series, which has carried us through the month. So far, we have emphasized the value of relationships in the church, the value of discipleship in the church, the value of outreach in the church, and the value of generosity in the church. Today, we come to the value of priorities. When we think about priorities, priorities are defined as the things that take precedence, especially those things that are established in order of their importance or their urgency to us. Priorities reflect values, and all of us do what we value in life. This is also true in the church. The psychologist Dr. Susan David noted that during the time of the pandemic, many people were forced into introspection in a way that they maybe had not been before, at least in a long time, to look at what they do and why they do it. And she said, what happens is sometimes we become hooked into this autopilot mode of living with all of our habits and our routines. This can happen to us as individuals, and it can also happen to the church. We can get hooked into an autopilot mode of operating. Now, thankfully, as a church, we have a very streamlined model of ministry. We've been committed to that for a very long time. Even so, the past two years have provided the opportunity for us to evaluate our approach and ask important questions moving forward. Who we are determines what we do. So who are we as the people of God at Crosslands Baptist Church? 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, the Word of God says, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone, and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
According to the scripture, individually and collectively, we are the spiritual house of God. In light of God's word to us, we should rid ourselves of sinful activity, including but not limited to malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Hunger for the word of God. Recognize that the Lord is good. See that Jesus is the cornerstone and we are being built up to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. You'll notice some designations here in verse 9 that specifically tell us something about our identity as the people of God. We are a chosen race or a chosen generation. This was an idea that was once applied only to Israel, but now it means all who have faith in Jesus. A royal priesthood, blessed through the great high priest, Jesus, to represent God to the world to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world. A holy nation, a people set apart by God with privileges and responsibilities as the people of God. A people for his possession. We belong to God and we exist to live for the glory of God. We are the spiritual house of God and we've been called to represent God in the world with special privileges and opportunities and responsibilities. So we're going to think about this question in the few moments that we have together. Why do we exist as the people of God at Cross Lanes Baptist Church? Every year, usually early in the year, in one form or the other, we revisit our vision, values, mission, and measures as a church. We are approaching our 63rd anniversary as a church in a little over a month. And for the past two decades, these things have shaped our culture and defined our direction as a church. And as we process these things and think through them for the future, they're going to shape our culture and define our direction as we continue onward. First, let's look at our vision The vision of Cross Lanes Baptist Church is that Cross Lanes Baptist Church exists for the purpose of growing God's forever family. A vision communicates what we want to accomplish. It's where we're headed. It's what we want to see take place through our service and ministry for the Lord. Jesus said in John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. John 15 and verse 5 is our theme verse as a church. It goes hand in hand with the idea of growing God's forever family. So we think about God as the vineyard keeper, Jesus Christ as the vine, And then we, as the branches that are connected to the vine. And God, as the vineyard keeper, often prunes us and shapes us so that we can grow in him. That's not always pleasant. It's sometimes a challenge. It brings those growing pains in our lives as we grow up in our salvation, as Peter mentions in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2. And we can think at times that the obstacles, the challenges, and the hardships will stop our growth 
or hinder our progress, but that's not necessarily true. Because just as God prunes us and shapes us individually, he does the same thing in the church collectively. And in doing so, he prunes us and shapes us as we grow up into our salvation. And oftentimes it's the challenges themselves, the obstacles that we face, the friction that we endure, the hardships that we undergo that actually bring about the most growth in our lives and in the church. There's a particular kind of tree called the bristlecone pine in the western mountain regions of the United States. It's a very interesting tree. It exists sometimes as high as two or three miles above sea level. It's an evergreen, and this evergreen can actually live for thousands of years. The older specimens of the tree only have a thin layer of bark on their trunks. And considering the habitat of these trees and how poor the soil is and how uh, minimal the precipitation is, it's incredible that they survive at all or certainly that they could live as long as they do. But evidently, the environmental adversities that they face actually contribute to their longevity. God made these trees in such a way that their cells are produced under these difficult conditions and actually create a hardiness within the plant. The wood is so structured that it's made to live for an extremely long period of time. And here's what one researcher said. Bristlecone pines in richer conditions grow faster, but they die earlier and they decay more quickly. The harshness of their surroundings then is a vital factor in making them strong and sturdy. We can draw a spiritual parallel with this, that as we are pruned and shaped as branches connected to the vine, the hardships and the challenges and the obstacles and the difficulties can actually make us more hardy individually, spiritually, and it can certainly make us more hardy collectively as the church. Growing God's forever family means that we want to see people come to faith in Jesus, and we want to see people grow in spiritual depth in their faith, and we want to see growth in terms of the multiplication of the mission. John Maxwell said, without a vision, people and the church become self-centered. We see this all the time in churches, where churches turn inwardly, and they get self-focused, and there becomes either a spectator mentality or a consumer mentality rather than a servant attitude, and that's when trouble comes. We want you as a Christian in your walk with God not to be a consumer, to think about religion or the church or your faith as something that you just consume if it's a good enough product. We want you not to think about yourself as a spectator where you just come when it's convenient and you watch other people actually do the work of the ministry, we want you to be a participating disciple and to be an integral part of growing God's forever family. So if someone were to ask you next week or next month or next year, what is Cross Lanes Baptist Church about? Why do they exist? Who are you as a church? You should be able to easily say, we're all about growing God's forever family And John 15 and verse 5 is our theme verse.
That's who we are. That informs what we do. That's our vision. Now for the values. Values reflect the priorities that are important to us as a church. Tim Sanders, the former chief solutions officer at yahoo.com, shared the following thought about establishing priorities. And I love the way he, he shapes this. He said, take your life and all the things that you think are important and put them into three basic categories. These three categories are represented by three items, glass, metal, and rubber. The things that are made of rubber are like a bouncy ball. You drop them and they're going to bounce back. Nothing's particularly going to really happen when these types of things get dropped. Things that are made of metal, when they get dropped, they make a lot of noise, but you can recover from the drop. Things that are made of glass, however, when you drop one of these, it's going to shatter into pieces and it's never going to be the same. You may be able to piece it back together, but it's still going to be missing something. He says, the thing is, you're the only person who knows those things that you can't afford to drop. So in your life and also in our life together in the church, there are some things that are akin to the rubber bouncing ball that we can easily drop and there's not going to be many consequences to it. There's some things that are like the metal and if you drop it, people are going to make noise about it, but there's not going to be a whole lot of consequence to it. But the things that are the glass are the values that help us focus on what truly matters to us as a people. And I'd like to suggest to you our identified values as a church, not to say that they're all encompassing of everything that we value, but more so that they frame those things that are of utmost importance to us. We want to love God and love people. And sometimes that's oversimplified and maybe even overstated at times. But is that not what the Christian life ultimately is about? Loving God and loving people. And we want to do that well. We want to make disciples because that's what Jesus told us to do. To help people grow in their faith and to become more like him. We want to pray and grow in God's word. Because God's word is true. It's unchanging. It's God who has revealed himself to us, and we want you to pray and to grow in the word. We want to live generously and be a people who are faithful in our generosity. And we want to advance the kingdom of God. Remember, priorities reflect values, and values reflect priorities. And we do what we value in life. We carry out what really matters to us. Now for the mission. As a member of Cross Lanes Baptist Church, you are encouraged to engage in the mission of God as a disciple of Jesus through worship, small group, ministry, and mission. So we want people, as they come into the life of this church, to be able to understand what our vision is, where we're going, what we want to accomplish. We want them to understand those values that are foundational as we build it all on Jesus, who is the chief cornerstone. We understand who we are as a people. Those values are what are important to us that we hold tightly to. And then the mission is how we carry out the vision. 
The vision is the why. The mission is the how. There was an article in Forbes uh, by the business consultant, Liz Ryan, and she argued that companies should not be first and foremost obsessed with having happy employees. She argued that employers should focus on rather helping employees focus on a greater mission. And she goes on to give the following example of a mission-driven person from a secular business perspective. She says, let's imagine a person completely immersed in his or her work. We'll use the greatest violin maker in the world as our example. She said, I don't know who makes the greatest violins in the world, but we'll imagine that it's an Italian violin maker named Franco. And Franco has a studio where 15 or 20 apprentice or journeyman violin makers work alongside of him, making the most exquisite violins in the world. Is Franco happy? Well, honestly, he's all at once ecstatic, frustrated, confused, exhausted, and lost in the zone of his work. He and his work are inextricable from one another. No one would say that Franco and his workers are first and foremost happy. Instead, people in Franco's town would say, those guys live and breathe violins. And because of that, people around the world rejoice. I say that to make this point. Our goal is not to be happy in our personal preferences, but rather to find joy in the mission of God. The mission of God communicates how we want to accomplish the vision. It's the why and it's the what now. It begins with worship. Matthew chapter 22 and the great commandment, verse 37 to 39, is a focus on the importance of worshiping God through loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. So as a worshiper, we want to help you worship God through prayer, through your own time in the word, and through a life of stewardship with God. And there's all this stuff that can just so easily get us distracted from what it's really all about. If we're not continually coming back to this idea of wanting people to know God and to be redeemed, and then to grow in God as his disciple, we're missing the point of what our worship ultimately is all about. And we want to gather together in worship as we're doing today with God's people faithfully. This is an integral part of what the church does week in and, and week out. Small group is related to your fellowship and relationships with other people in the church. Hebrews 10 and verse 24 and 25 more broadly applies to the gathering of God's people in the church, but I think it can specifically apply to a small group gathering and personal relationships as well. Because he says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The primary way that we engage in small groups is through our Bible fellowship ministry. We talk about those fundamentals of reaching people who don't know the Lord or reaching people who are not connected with God's people, teaching them the word because the word is our guide for life and it's how we know about the gospel and then ministering to the needs of the people. In our renewed emphasis in 2022, I've been talking a lot about 
the importance of gathering, growing, and going. Gathering together, which is reaching people, and growing together, which is teaching, and then going, uh, which ultimately is about ministering and about carrying out the mission of caring for people that God is drawing into a relationship with himself. So you want to build relationships through Bible fellowship, through discipleship opportunities, and through serving together. So let me just say this in a very practical way. You ought not be lonely at Cross Lanes Baptist Church. That's just plain as I can make it. You should not be lonely in this church because we want to help you as you gather together with people, form relationships, know and be known in life with God and his people. Then ministry. 1 Peter 4 and verse 10 says, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied or the manifold grace of God. Did you know that every individual has at least one spiritual gift? I think that every saved person has a primary spiritual gift and then secondary spiritual gifts according to the grace of God and how he sees fit to give it to us. I also think that the spiritual gifts are limited to what is listed in the scripture. We don't just get to call a natural ability a spiritual gift if it's not a spiritual gift in the Bible. The Bible informs us as to what spiritual gifts are. But if you're a saved person, you're gifted. And God wants you to use your spiritual gift. That's why those illustrations in the scripture of the body and the family and the different parts of the church are so significant. One part is not more valuable or significant than another part. It all works together and God shapes it together so that his church can go forward. So we want to help you discover your spiritual gifts and to use those in serving God and serving others. Remember, we're not wanting you to be merely a consumer or a spectator. We want you to be an active participant in the ministry of God. And then finally, the mission within the mission, and that's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. And that's the making of disciples. We want to equip and encourage you to live out your faith and to share Jesus with others. We are currently gearing back up for ongoing community ministries. We've been able to do a number of them in recent months, even in spite of some of the circumstances we found ourselves in and restrictions and things that have been present. Uh, mission in West Virginia and North America and internationally. We want to do what God's called us to do in his greater mission. And then the measures. The measures are what we can look at as a church to know whether or not we are living faithfully. And the way that we can know that is if spiritual fruit is evident. You ought to be able to tell it. So what would spiritual fruit look like? Well, it would certainly be people coming to faith in Christ. It would be baptisms and people who have come to faith in Christ and willing to publicly profess him. Uh, it would be disciples being made where people are growing in their faith. Sometimes these things are a little bit less tangible, and we miss them. And we think, well, what is God doing? You know God's always doing something in a church? He is. He's doing something in your life right now in this moment. And, and that's the work of God. That's his spirit. So we want to see that when somebody's growing up in their salvation, somebody's being strengthened in Jesus as the cornerstone, 
that's important, and we ought to celebrate that. And then part of that fruit is going to be in the measures that people will be cared for and shepherded through genuine community and a unified fellowship. I said to this church years ago uh, when I got started here that I could not shepherd everybody on my own. And I said this, I said, I'm not even going to try. But if we're working together to care for needs, that's when people can truly be shepherded and cared for. And we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing? Are we doing our part? Are we empathetic toward the needs that people have around us? Are we stepping up and spiritually caring for them? And let me also say, we're not mind readers. So if you have a spiritual need or a physical need and you don't tell us, we don't know about it, and then you get mad about it, that's on you. That's not on us. We need to know if there are things that we can be a blessing toward in your life because we want to be a blessing. But we have to know what those things are to be able to do it. And then I think kingdom ministry will take place through the community ministry and the church's plan and the mission partnerships. And ultimately, God will be glorified. Here's what measures do. Measures keep us accountable. Measures help us know how we're doing in carrying out the vision, the values, and the mission. We're able to look and say, how are we doing? What are we doing? Why are we doing it? And it brings us back to that introspection that is so important. We prioritize our vision, values, mission, and measures in obedience to God's call in our lives. And we do it as we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone and the head of the church. Now, I want to point out a few important points of observation and application before I close. And the first is this. The church needs to focus on spiritual intensity over going through the motions. Let me me build that out just a little bit more. It's easy for us to do what we've always done because we've always done it and not truly have a spirit of intensity and faith about what God can do. I want you to have an expectation that we are serving a supernatural God together. And the supernatural God that we are serving can do things that are inexplicable. They're beyond what we could even ask or think of. And when we come together and when we pray and when we do ministry and when we carry out the mission, we should have an expectation that the Spirit of God is going to work, that we're going to see Him move and bring glory to His name. And there ought to be an intensity about our lives in that. There ought to be a holy expectation in our lives about that. God help us that we would be lukewarm and just going through the motions. God help us that we would be expecting that somebody else is going to do it for us. There should be a fire in our hearts and our souls because we want to see God do great things. And what that says to us as a church is that we can be thankful for all he's done in the past, but the past is done and gone. We can be aware of where we are in the present, but God is moving us into the future. And we want to be a part of that. And it's interesting how 
A church is such a dynamic organism, if you will, because there are some of you who have been here for a long time and you know the majority of the story that we have collectively as a church for decades upon decades. And that story is a a reminder to you of the faithfulness of God. But then there are others of you who've joined us along the way and the story that you know is wherever it was that you stepped into the middle of the story. And each of us has a different experience, but we have a collective call. And my prayer is that as we have that spiritual intensity and that attitude of expectation, that we would not just rest in what God has done in the past because he's done many great things and he's been so faithful to us. But what will God do in the future? As thankful as I am for the many things that I've seen happen, I want to see God move in a powerful way in the days and the years to come. I want to see us be able to say, five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. These are the greatest days that this church has ever experienced. And it all is God's glory and his plan. It's not us. So we cannot be in neutral. We cannot have a sense of going through the motions. We've got to be moving forward and trusting in what God wants to do through us. And then I would say to you, the church needs to focus not so much on who we were before the pandemic started or at some other particular point in our history, but who we are now and who God is shaping us to be. Prior to the recent wave of the pandemic, according to the most recent research that is available, the average church in America, in the United States, had returned in-person worship to somewhere between 36 and 60% of what they had pre-pandemic. So that means that somewhere between a third and a little less than two-thirds of people had returned in person. You understand there's some parts of the country where they've just begun to meet again because of municipalities and restrictions and other things that have happened. But even so, of those who've been meeting, that's been the accounting of what has happened. Prior to this latest wave, we had returned to the range of 65 to 70% of our pre-pandemic attendance in person with an additional 125 to 175 people gathering with us online weekly. And let me just say, I'm thankful for the technology that we do have. I'm thankful for every individual and every family who's connecting with us in that way. I thank God for you if you're online with us, worshiping with us today. And I believe that many of those folks are going to be able and, to, and ready to return as things settle. Some won't for various reasons, uh, reasons that uh, might be health or age or other things. But the point I want to make is that at any rate, the primary measure all along should have been engagement rather than attendance. How engaged are we as the people of God on mission with God? That's what we should be concerned about. If it's true that we're not just trying to build spectators or consumers, but rather active participants in the mission of God, the core question we've got to ask is, who's engaged? Who's on owning the mission? Who sees this as something that is 
their responsibility, not just something that the church is doing or the leaders are doing or that group is doing, but what are we doing? We ought to own that. and We ought to measure what we're doing by the engagement that we have. And then the church needs to focus on abundance and not scarcity. I believe God has all the resources necessary to carry out his mission through the faithfulness of his people. This church has been a testimony in its generosity. You have been a testimony in your generosity of the abundance of the resources of God. And I've said many times over the years that we are not a reservoir. We are a river of God's blessings. And God won't let flow to us what we won't let flow through us. And what that means is that as we minister and as we do mission and as we care for the needs of people and as we impact our community, that means we are going to do it with open hands and open arms. And we're going to be generous and we want God to flow his resources, not just to us, but through us. And we want to serve as a river of the blessings of God and not a reservoir. And then I'd say the church needs to focus on multiplication over maintenance. Did you know that we have partnered either primarily or secondarily with more than 20 church plants in the past couple of decades, 20 new churches in West Virginia, North America, and internationally? That is direct partnership. I'm not talking about the multiplication through our collective efforts with like-minded churches, which is exponential. I'm talking about the direct efforts of Cross Lanes Baptist Church. Multiplication is central to who we are, but I want you to know there is much more that we can do. There's a lot more that we can do, and there's a lot more that we want to do. So part of the story of what we want to be told here in this church is that this church is all about multiplication. That we want to see the kingdom of God advance. So when we talk about things like retiring the remaining debt that we have, which we are aggressively pursuing, the reason that we're doing that is we want to continue to invest in the mission. We want to multiply the work. And we want to see God work through that. And we get to be a part of something that is greater than ourselves. We are committed to a streamlined, uncomplicated, flexible, focused model of ministry. And we're going to be determinedly committed to that. Nothing is going to get in the way of that. And we desire to carry out everything that we're doing with excellence for the glory of God. As I've heard it said through the years, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. It ought to be with excellence. It ought not be with mediocrity. I close with this story. Just a few days ago, there was a terrible story that came out of the coast of Florida about some immigrants who had set out for Florida from Bimini in the Bahamas. There were 40 of them that got on a little boat. Details are somewhat sketchy about what happened But what they know is that little boat ran into a storm just after leaving the Bahamas. The boat capsized and 39 out of 40 
of the people on the boat perished. There was one Colombian man who was traveling with his sister who survived, and he was rescued floating on the hull of the upside-down boat about 45 miles from Fort Pierce Inlet. Only five of the bodies were found before they called off the search. Since 2014, at least 967 people have been known to disappear on voyages from the Caribbean just like that. Likely there is an untold number more because most all of them go unreported. A representative of the International Organization for Migration, the IOM, said, saving lives is an absolute priority. I'll tell you that story for this reason. The people who make such dangerous journeys have one thing in common. They are seeking hope. That's what they're looking for. They're seeking hope. They're seeking a a better life. They're seeking a, a better opportunity. And they're willing to risk it all to do it. And I want you to know, spiritually speaking, that people all around us are seeking hope. They don't know what they're seeking many times. They don't know how to look for it. But they are seeking hope. And just as saving lives is an absolute priority for the IOM, seeing souls saved is the absolute priority of the church. That is why we exist, to see souls saved. And then when they're saved, to see them, as Peter said, grow up into their salvation. That's what I want to be a part of. What do you want to commit your life to? Do you want to just commit your life to to going through the motions? Do you want to commit your life to just some religious activity so that you can feel better? Or do you want to commit your life as a disciple of Jesus Christ and go all in? That's what I'm challenging you to. That's who we want to be as a church, that we would have an understanding of something that is far greater than ourselves, but it is supernaturally empowered. And we have an understanding of what God can do collectively through us if we believe. Let's do what he's called us to do. Father, thank you for the blessing of your word. Thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ which has called us out of darkness and into light and has made us a privileged people built on Jesus, the cornerstone. Lord, you've blessed this church and we're grateful. We're grateful for the story. We're grateful for almost 63 years now of your hand working through people who simply submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But Father, I would pray today that if 63 more years were to pass and Jesus tarries his coming, that the greatest part of the story would not have been told. That we would see your power at work in ways that we simply cannot explain away. We could say only God could do that. Only the Holy Spirit could bring that about. 
Only the grace of God could change lives like that. Lord, that's what we want to be a part of. That's what we long for. So help us to that end. Find us to be a faithful people. Keep us focused on the priorities that matter. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.